Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a gentleman who specializes in some asset classes, quite frankly, that I've never talked about on this show going into year number three, just rounded out like I think over 250 episodes. And so when I talk to somebody, uh, something I know virtually nothing about, I get very excited. We are talking to a partner and investor relations specialist at Happy Camper Capital. I am speaking to Don Spafford. Don, welcome to Street Smart Success. Hi, Roger. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you got it. You got it, Don. So what I like to do, Don, is before we get into the business stuff, which we are going to do shortly, I think you went to college in in, in Nebraska. Are you originally a corn husker? Is that where you're from? What's what's your background? Boy, hard to say originally, but I, I did grow up most of my life there. My, my dad was still active military when I was very young. So we moved around quite a bit, but we, I did call Nebraska home for most of my life. I currently now live in Idaho. My, my mother was from here originally. I did live here again briefly when I was, was a young child, but we moved around between Idaho, Georgia, California. Uh, it finally settled in Nebraska is where my dad retired from the military and that's where I grew up. I see. Okay. And so why did you move to Iowa? Idaho, I'm, I'm, that's where we're at. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rookie mistake, Idaho. Yeah, no, no worries. It's okay. So my uh, my father passed away in 2003. My, my mother was from this area originally. So she moved back here to be kind of close to her family, her parents to help take care of them, supposedly. My mother, of course, had, at the time had MS and was progressing with that over time. So eventually her 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 progression got bad enough that you know we decided we needed to move close to her and help take care of her. So that's what brought us out here in 2015 to to be close to my, my mother and help help watch over her. I see. Okay. Well, thanks for the explanation. And where exactly are you in Idaho? Yeah, Idaho Falls, Idaho. That's eastern, southeast Idaho, about an hour and a half away from Yellowstone, three hours north of Salt Lake. Got it. Are a lot of people moving there? Yeah, there actually have been over the last few years. I mean, since we moved here again, 2015, it's it's man, it's growing a lot. There's still continued growth happening here. Lots of uh, you know industry businesses. One of the, the the few national laboratories is here that hires thousands of people. They've expanded and brought in like thousands more here as well. As people I think we're we're moving to Idaho in general is you know during the the pandemic time, people seem to flock to the Boise area in particular. But as Boise got overpopulated, overpriced, you know, people started coming more this way as well. So uh, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of growth happening around here. I see. I think that the the prices in Boise have cratered in the last six months. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think so. At least they started to come down some anyway. I don't know how, how much exactly, but not, don't really follow the market there too much. You know, it's like four hours away from us. So, Got it. Have they held up? Is the housing market held up where you are? Mostly, yeah. There, there's maybe been some slight decreases, but it's kind of more disguising at this point. It's not, you know, this, this area has always been kind of unique in its own way. Anyway, during, even during the eight market crash, the prices here didn't quite collapse as, as badly as other areas. So this area seems to be a lot more stable in general. I see. So Don, how did you, you know, first of all, I, I read on your, on your profile that you had like four majors in college and I was like, holy smokes. So I guess my question is, how did you, you say you're a smart guy and, and also, you know, have an amazing education. What led you into real estate? 
Well, several things. I guess initially going back to those those, those degrees, like you said, I initially had my, my focus was on yeah investment science, portfolio management, you know, finance. That was my my background to go into being a, a financial advisor or, or you know wealth manager. That was my my goal, my plan. But when the the market crashed in two thousand eight oh nine, I saw all these major huge companies now going out of business and, and laying people off. So I kind of realized that that was not as stable of a career as I, as I had, I guess, imagined. And, and, uh, you know, I, I just, myself was, was picturing all these people that were losing their entire life savings and were, just were like wiped out. I, I, for myself, I would have felt bad if I was in charge of, of that, even though, you know, it's not anything directly related to me or my, my fault, we'll say, right. But, but just, if people are still entrusting their money to me and, and then they're still losing money, even though it's getting out of my control, I would still feel bad about that. So, I was like, yeah, maybe that's not for me. So actually, that's why I went back to school and got the accounting degree with with expectations. Maybe I'll study for a CPA instead because there was even in that time when there was no jobs out there for that were hiring for, you know, for all these companies who were laying people off. No, so therefore, nobody was hiring. All the jobs I did see that was anything related was accounting. So I'm like, well, let me go back and get an accounting degree. Maybe I'll just get a CPA instead, and that'll be more for sure stable. That 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 job's always in demand. So I went, you know, got that degree, started studying for the CPA, but it just, for me, it was very difficult to, to have the time to do that with the time we had three young kids at home. And uh, I was like, you know, I, I, I just can't sacrifice the, the time needed to really study for that. So I decided just to, to give up on that really, and just to kind of stick with what I was doing. I already had a job working in the, the, the financial industry. So I decided to just hunker down and, and deal with that for the time being. At least I had a, a secure, safe job. And then my wife became a realtor in about 2011, right right after our, our fourth child was born. And uh, and she almost immediately started working with investors as her clients. They were, you know, at the time buying properties in cash because they were super cheap still at the time and, and fixing them up and, and, you know, refinancing them. So I kind of, that's where my, my eyes really got opened and to, to see the possibilities with real estate. You know, I, I saw, of course, the... The prices came down during the the uh, that crash in 2008 but I had no idea you know, what process to take, how to how to buy them, what to do, or if, even if I could buy them. So I, you know, I, I didn't really get involved. You know, I, I still saw at that time real estate was a a game for the wealthy, not something I could do myself. So, but uh, once my wife started working with investors, and I could kind of see now firsthand, sort of how they were doing it and get to ask them questions, I, I started wanting to learn more. So I started reading some books and that's where my, my interest really started to grow from, from that. What market were you living in in 2011? That we were still in Omaha, Nebraska at the time. Okay, got it. That's what I thought, but I wanted to just make sure I had it right. Yeah. Okay. And so what was your first foray into investing in real estate? Yeah. So, you know, as we mentioned before, we made the move to Idaho. When we decided we were going to move, it was probably around 2013. 13, maybe 14, actually probably 13. Yeah, we, we made the decision we were going to move. So at that time, we were already starting to look for properties to, to buy in Omaha, but I decided I was going to wait because I did not want to buy a property then and then move and be long distance. And you know, I wasn't ready for that just yet. So once we moved to Idaho in 2015, it took about a year to get settled in. And I, I started looking again and, and researching. And I, at that point, I discovered Bigger Pockets you know, as a great community resource to, to learn and, and grow and be educated. And I used that heavily, as sort of like I say, my, my, my mentor, really. And I, I bought a, a fourplex was my first property that we purchased here in Idaho. Um, I knew that I did not want to buy a single family home. I saw that as too much of a risk. So I wanted multiple doors to have less chance of me having to pay the mortgage. And so, uh, you know, the, the biggest I could do on my own was was a fourplex with a residential loan. I actually, again, used some creative financing that I, I was not aware of even just a, probably a year before that, that I could leverage my 401k. So I, I took a loan for my 401k 
for the down payment and used a local lender that has a 10% down payment program for investment property. So I got this fourplex with 10% down, which most of that came from my 401k and got into that first property. And uh, I still own it today. I just refinanced it about a year ago, pulled a lot more money out of it than I put into it initially. And wow. I've reinvested that in, into to more more properties. Is it after you pulled the money out, is it break even or is it making a few hundred bucks a month? Or Yeah, it's, it's still actually cash flows about 1200 a month. Gosh, after you pulled more than even all Even after the- pulling out, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wow. What did you pay for them? When I initially bought it, I think it was about 265000 You know, four plexes in this area now sell for probably an average of six hundred to 700000 So yeah, it's, it's appreciated a lot here. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I could have pulled out a lot more had I wanted to, but I, I, my goal was to still have it cash flow around that range because it was already cash flowing about 1200 a month prior to refinancing just because I had a higher interest rate. So I refinanced at a lower interest rate. Now I wanted to keep my cash flow about that same amount. So I definitely could have pulled out a lot more, but I didn't, I wanted to make sure that property still cash flowed well. So I kept it, you know, around that same level and still pulled out, you know, again, over a hundred thousand. Okay. So again, the very, you said, and I have, it's, it's been a long morning for me. So I'm a little spacey. Are you in, did you say you're in Twin Falls? No, Idaho Falls. Idaho Falls. Okay. So I embarrassed myself, but you know, <laughs> I, took, right. I took the risk, but I wanted to clarify it. Okay. Then what are yeah. the rents? On, just not a I mean, look, we're going to talk about RV parks and campgrounds, and but, but I'm just, I'm just sure. curious the background. What are the, what are the rents on, on those units? Well, when I bought it, they were about 650. Currently now they're around 900, 950. Okay. Wow. Good for you, man. What do you, you know, you, you went and did it and you've had nothing but, but, you know, great success from that. How then, how do you get into from there? How, you know, what's the bridge to get to RV parks and campgrounds and marinas, which seems so interesting to me? Yeah. Well, it was not a, a direct route. I can tell you that. I was not planning to get into this space at, at any point early on. But as I was was continuing to, to buy more properties or trying to buy more properties, right? I, I picked up a couple more fourplexes out, out of state. And But during this time now, we're looking at late 2018 and 2019, there was a lot more competition than there was in, in 2017 when I bought that first property. And so just about everything I would make an offer on, we were getting outbid every time to, to the point where it was like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to overpay at the time for a property and make it not cash flow. For me, cash flow was number one. I was not buying for appreciation. I wanted cash flow. So I was just, you know, came to the decision, okay, maybe I need to get into some commercial properties if I figure out something else. So I started looking into more, we'll say medium-sized commercial properties, like 20 units or so, and and looking for deals in that space and, and range. I had some partners that could bring some capital, but I was not finding anything still that would really pencil out for, for my expectations for returns. I was not satisfied with a, a low cash flow or, or low return on investment. So I just kind of helped, kept holding out and being patient. And I started looking into other people's offerings that, that were, were offering syndications and multifamily and still not impressed with the returns that they were offering. So I decided just to hold, hold tight. I figured something else would come along. And uh, I was, during this entire time, I, I listened to podcasts, you know, all day long. I, I worked from home. So I was just listening to podcasts all day as I worked. And on one of those podcasts, I listened to somebody else had mentioned campgrounds as something they were investing in. And it kind of it piqued my interest, kind of like you were saying for you, you're, you're like, I'm curious. So, uh, you know, especially being in, be where I'm located, about an hour and a half from Yellowstone Park. It's a big camping area. Most people here have campers and, and RVs and you go camping very often. And so I saw this as maybe a, a unique opportunity. So I started networking with more people in that space, going to webinars and meetup events that, that had people that are doing that, just trying to get get to know them and you know offer my services. I could say I could be your boots on the ground if you want to buy in this area. Uh, again, my wife is a realtor, so we can help with the purchase, you know, go take some pictures, videos, whatever you need. 
And just just doing that general networking, I came across a couple guys that had just bought their first property and were looking to expand and, and grow a team. And uh, that we so that's where you know we met and discussed you know my goals and and, and their long term goals, what we we're looking to do, and that everything seemed to align well. And they invited me to join up with them, and that's how I came on with Happy Camper Capital. Okay, you'd made a you had alluded to your expectations. You know, you were out, yeah. you were looking after like eighteen, nineteen. And none of the buildings, the fourplexes, up 20 units met your expectation for returns. What was your expectation for returns? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, I had I had high expectations again with that that first property, and even the the second, third properties I bought later, those other, other fourplexes. I was, you know, I was averaging about I'd say a. 40% cash on cash, you know? So, you know, I use low down payments. So it gave me very high cash on cash returns. So I, I obviously knew that those were probably too high expectations, but I was still looking for at least something, you know, in the teens, right? Something that, you know, a double digit cash on cash return. And most everything I was seeing was, you know, between five to eight, maybe the most. So, so I was like, yeah, that's just not good enough. I, to me, I, I thought it was too much risk. I, 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 I did not have a lot of money to go around to, you know, say I'm investing this and this and that. So I had to be very precise with where I put my money to get the highest return possible. So I was just holding out and not, not willing just to put it into any deal that came along. And that's, again, that's what drew my attention to these campground deals because they do get those double digit returns. When, when you said 40%, was that after you had done some value add and some repositioning of them or or was it, you certainly couldn't have gotten 40% right at, right on the front end or, or, or you feel free to correct me. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that first one, I think I was probably when I first purchased, it was probably still around a 20%. Wow. As I increased the rents on it, then yeah, that, that went up. Wow. 20%. Holy cow. Where was I? I wish we would have known one another. We could have <laughs> went and bought like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was this again. This was just a rare, unique opportunity because I, I actually found it listed on Craigslist. It wasn't you know on the MLS or anything. And at the time, it was right before the markets went crazy and everybody was looking to buy. So I just got you know lucky timing was looking at the right time and place, and, and it worked out. Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P and L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. So your your partners at Happy Camper, you met and you said you were doing, you were networking, meet, you know, you were doing meetups and webinars, what have you. Where did you meet your current partners? So yeah, it is, I honestly don't remember exactly, but I think it was just a... A, a comment that either I had made or they had made on uh, like like likely LinkedIn maybe or or, or bigger pockets somewhere there was a, a post about something that somebody made a comment and I had commented and and it was just based off off that either either my comment that they reached out to me or their comment comment and I reached out to them I don't remember exactly this was you know well over like a year and a half ago but but yeah that that kind of just came from from that uh, making a, a comment on a, a social media post I see 
it is amazing what technology does to, to <laughs> presenting us opportunities and bringing us yeah. together. And, and where are these partners? They, they are based in the Denver, Colorado area. Oh, I see. Okay. So RV parks. What's the difference between an RV park and a mobile home park? Well, to be honest, not, not much difference, but we don't buy RV parks just to give some clarification. <laughs> okay. So, what, what? so you know, you'll, you'll hear me use the terminology. I'll say RV resort or RV campground. There are RV uh, parks that are very similar to a mobile home park where, where just basically people park their RVs and live there long term. So that's not the kind of properties we, we buy. We buy these re- resort campgrounds, which are more like a vacation resort, you know, very much more similar to like a, a short term rental or even like I say, a hotel for people come and stay for a short time and, and, and go home. So there's a, for what we do compared to that, it's, it's a pretty big difference. So, so again, with, with like mobile home parks or even like say RV parks, you got tenants living there year round in most cases. For us, you know, usually the most somebody stays there is a, a few months, maybe during the summer or winter, but most people are coming to stay for, you know, a weekend or, or a week and, you know, and then they go somewhere else. So they go back home. So you don't buy RV parks or you do? Not RV parks. No, okay. we, again, we buy the RV resorts, okay. campgrounds and marinas. Yeah. All right. Okay. So much more, again, you know, a vacation resort. Okay. I got it. All right. And, and then it strikes me from an operational perspective that it's more of a, it's more of, you know, a hands-on business just by virtue of the, yeah. you know, like I said, it's like a, it's the hospitality business. So you're renting yes. and re-renting and re-renting. And so I guess management infrastructure would be, which is always critical, but maybe even more critical in this category. I guess, what do you love about the category in it and how competitive, like you have that experience, Don, of like, mm-hmm. you know, in 18 and 9, 2019, going out and trying to replicate that great deal you did with your original fourplex and it was just too competitive, right? How, how does how does campgrounds, RV campgrounds compare to that? And what do you love about it? Yeah, well, well for right now, it, it's great because there's not a lot of people in this space. So there's not a whole lot of competition. There are more people getting into it. I've said over the last six months, I know of several other groups that are now starting to do it as well. Because again, it, it, it does get people's attention. People are looking for better deals. They're not seeing it in multifamily. So people are, are moving to this space. But for right now, most of our deals, we are getting off market. So we, we call up the campgrounds directly, talk to the owners. In most cases, it's, you know, mom and pops, they, they you know, the owner operate, they live on site and they manage it themselves. So it's pretty easy to get hold of the, the owners. So we call them up, find the ones that are willing to sell and, and work out a, a deal that makes sense for us. And by doing that, we are typically buying around a 10 cap right now. Most of the the campgrounds you find that are listed through a broker are typically around like a six or seven cap. So we are still, you know, by buying them off market, getting a much better deal, well under value to, to get higher returns for investors. Got it. And who on your team is actually making those calls or is it, or is it you know, or is it virtual assistance? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, no, we actually have two guys on our team that pretty much all they do are, are, are calling up campgrounds and finding deals. Um, you know, of course, we, we often have them sent to us. You know, we, we are now at this point very well known in this space. So people that, you know, have come across a, a campground deal, they'll usually send it to us and say, hey, I came across this. You know, so we have often ones that are sent to us, but we are directly searching for them ourselves, calling up campgrounds. Okay. And if you had to guess, and if you, if you have a sense of this, great. If you don't, that's fine. But how, how many other companies or syndicators are doing what you're doing in the campground space? I'd say there's at least two that I know of for sure that are, are we'll say close to our, about where our level is. And there's at least three or four others that are have just bought their first one or maybe on their second one. So they're, you know, that are kind of up and coming, we'll say. At least again, the ones that I know of, there's probably more out there, but the ones that are in my circle, we'll say, of connections or, or people I see on, on social media. So it's probably, let's say, half a dozen or so. But again, that, that's that's much less com- competition than, let's say, you know, 20 or 30 others that are buying the same 
multifamily building, right? So, so still much, much easier space for us to work with. Yeah, un- unquestionably. How, how many of them or how many campgrounds are there in the country? There, I mean, I, I don't know the number, but there's, there's a lot. There's, there's thousands of them. Okay. You know, they, they don't all necessarily meet our criteria. For, for, for us, we have very strict buying criteria though. So we, we look for ones that are in a specific locations and, and specific, you know, we are not ourselves in a particular region, like some of these other groups that I mentioned that they stick to, uh, like say the Southeast only or Eastern States only, whereas we, our team, we, we buy nationwide. So we look everywhere. Our two main cr- buying criteria are the, the distance of a major city. We're looking for something that's within a two or maximum three hour drive of a major metropolitan area. That kind of helps us reduce our risk and give us a built-in user base. You know, people that already own RVs and campers that want to go out and use them, they're willing to drive a couple hours to go out to, and, and do that and have fun. Our other buying criteria is the, the size. We have to have at least 100 existing campsites just to have the, the enough enough income, as you were mentioning, that for to to pay for the costs of management and staff and all that. You know, again, a mom and pop that's on site living there and running it, they can do it with with much less. But for us, for that size we need for the income, it has to have at least 100 existing campsites. And we prefer to have room to expand, like additional acreage that we can add on more, build it out. That's part of our, our value add that we do is, uh, you know, we look to expand it, make it nicer, uh, add on more amenities, take it to a higher higher status level uh, of like a re- resort status. I see. Do you, well, do you either buy them when they have, I mean, are there restaurants, are there pools, are there lakes? And or if it doesn't, are you putting that stuff in there? <laughs> Not necessarily lakes, either there it isn't, but you know what I mean? But in terms of a restaurant or yeah. other things that kids like to do or you know, just getting a sense of that. Sure. I'd say all of the above. So okay. we, yeah, just about for any sense to even be considered at resort status, you have to have a pool. So if there's not a pool, we'll typically be adding a pool to it. And as far as lakes go, yeah, we, we may not add a lake, but we will add a pond, we, we, a large one. We've actually got a property working on right now that mm-hmm. has a couple of lakes on it. We're going to add on a, a third pond just to, to expand it and then do more because it's got a lot of land on it. In some cases, we have, we have a property that's in the Ozarks area of Missouri, uh, it's got a dock on the lake. So we're, we're actually expanding out that dock because there's a big waiting list of people with boats that want to get on there. That one actually has a restaurant on site. But w- with the restaurants, we typically don't run or operate the, the that, that business. We just rent out the building. So we'll have the, the building and rent it out to a local business that runs the restaurant. Um, but yeah, we, we had on, in some cases, we'll, we'll, we've got one that we're building out an amphitheater so we can put on concert events. We've got, you know, we, we've put on a, a haunted house we've built in for one that we did during during Halloween, which has turned out very great. You know, we'll do movie nights, we, but we do prefer it if there is like a, a water feature, like a lake or river, something we can have for, for boating or, or uh, you know, aqua parks and these kind of things. Those are all things we look to do to, to improve the property. I see. So... How much? Well, first of all, when was uh, Curiosity? When was Happy Camper founded? It was founded in in 2020 okay. uh, by, by my my two founding partners. They they alone by themselves closed on their first deal in 2021, you know, in Q1 2021. And again, shortly after that, just a few months later, is when I met them and ran across as they were trying to to find. You know, team members help them grow and expand the team. So I came on, you know, I met them, you know, mid 2021 and, and officially joined them by the end of 2021. All right. And what are these things priced at? Inevitably, there's a range, but just to get a sense yeah, of definitely. it. Yeah, well, they, they're, they're like I said, they're, they're across the board. What we are have bought, we, we've bought some as low as $1 million. We're, we're We're currently buying one now around $12 million. So our firm's average is around that $6 million for us right now. But there are properties in there that are that are above 100 million. If you you know if you have the uh, the resources to, to buy some of those very very large resorts that have thousands of RV pads, yeah, those are you know the 100 million price range. So uh, there's pretty much everything out there across all sizes. Interesting. I wonder who buys the one for 100 million. I mean, is this something <laughs> that, that institutions would invest? 
Justin. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are like the the very large companies that that uh, you know have those types of, of properties. You know, think of like the Disney World type companies for campgrounds. You know, so. Yeah, I see. Well, what an interesting, you know, relatively beneath the radar industry. In how much money in capex? It, for let's say, let's say Don, it costs yeah. you, you buy a park for twelve mil, ten to twelve mil, like in that range. How much capex? I guess yeah. you know, do you put into these things? It's going to depend on the plans overall and how much expansion is included and whatnot. So for one at 12, for example, I'll give you an example. This one that, you know, without giving too much details, we're, we're closing on it. We're, we're buying it for 12 million. We have about a five and a half million CapEx on it. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty big one. This again, we're, we're adding on 170 additional campsites. We're adding on that pond, you know, adding in a bunch of things. So it all kind of depends on, on the, the size of the property and what we can do with it. We had, again, we've had some that even just a million dollar property where we're, we are CapEx is a, a million dollars too. So we're basically doubling the, the cost of the property by by building it out and adding on most other amenities like a, a lazy river or something. So it's, it's all going to depend on what we're going to do with it. But typically a, a big part of that includes the the expansion, adding on those additional pads with all the utility connections with them as well. I see. I guess once the CapEx is completed, what is what are the returns typically at that point? I know it's, I know that it's, it, you're into your third year or so, but what do you think that looks like? Yeah, yeah. Well, well so the, the great thing again about these properties, what, what drew me to them initially is even if we did not do any CapEx, we just wanted to buy it as a turnkey property. They still cash flow very well. Usually even year one without doing anything, you're still looking at uh, you know 10 to 12% cash on cash typically. By the time we finish our CapEx and, and expansion, do the other improvements to the property, we're usually closer to a, you know, a 15 to 20% cash on cash, you know, at, at that point. Then in, in, in our, in our projections, usually by, I say year five, the, the year we're looking to exit, the, the cash on cash could be up to even like 25% cash on cash that during that fifth year. So, so yeah, the, the cash flows are very great on these properties. Got it. And, and I, I remembered the question I wanted to ask is this, and now I came up with, came up with another question. First <laughs> of all, how, how do these parks do? I mean, I could surmise, but I ask anyway, how do these parks do in recessions? And typically what does somebody, how, how much does it cost to stay in one per week? Or however there, however it's parsed out. Sure. Well, as far, I'll start with that one first. For, for, as far as costs go, it's going to depend you know, on on the location, the area. If we're looking at, you know, Miami Beach versus you know Minnesota, they're going to have different prices. But typically, I'd say average we're looking at thirty to fifty dollars per night. So that could be you know you know a few hundred per week, you know a few thousand per per month so potentially. So it, it's. It's going to vary, you know, depending on guess, what, what's where it's at, the the amenities that's on the site. But again, this is, you know, remember, this is like a vacation resort. So compared to what you would go to, to stay at a hotel somewhere else, you know, you're, you're going to spend a lot more for that. So as far as recessions go, now there's two sides to that spectrum I, I'll, I'll cover. So... On one hand, for for this space, you know, people that own RVs or think of those big fifth wheel trailers, they're 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 hauling. These are essentially luxury items, right? If 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 anybody's priced these out, you know, a nice you know, a trailer RV, you're looking at at least about a hundred thousand typically, you know, a, a, a mid-sized, you know, class B or so RV, you're looking at about, you know, pretty close to 500,000. You know, there are some that are a million or more, you know, as you see some celebrities driving like a $2 million motorhome, you know, so, so people I'd say that, that can afford those types of luxury items, I'd say that again, go camping and use these, use these properties. They're not going to be affected by a recession anyway, right? They have enough disposable income that they're going to continue their normal lifestyle. They're still going to go out and use these. And, and, you know, think of somebody that's got, you know, say a hundred thousand dollar fifth wheel sitting in their driveway, they want to go use it. So they're going to get out as often as they can to, to go use it and get, get the use out of it for the cost, right? 
And then you got the other spectrum. You got the, we'll say the, the low end users. And of course you've got everybody in between, but I'm just kind of these two extremes, right? So, so on the, on the low end, maybe our lower income people that, you know, may have a small trailer that they use for, for camping or just want to go stay at a cabin or, or use a, even just a tent on these campgrounds. Cause again, we have space for tent camping and we also have cabins or other thing options. But so people that are on that lower end spectrum during a recession, we'll, for example, maybe we'll cut back on their expenses. They still want to take a vacation. That, that's, you know, a general consensus. People, no matter what's going on, people want to take a vacation, right? People want to relax and have fun. So you think of, again, some of these properties will, will have like a concert event, for example, if nothing else, or go to play in the lake. People want to get out, go to a concert, go, go hang out in the lake, go swimming, boating, fishing, whatever. And so that's kind of, again, why we have that closeness to the, to these cities. So some might cut, might cut back and say, we're not going to take a trip to Florida this year. We're not going to go to Disneyland or, you know, six, six flags or whatever, but we still want to go have fun. So let's go drive a couple hours, go stop at this campground down the road that we can do these fun activities and spend a lot less money overall, stay close to home and, and come back without spending a lot of gas, you know? So, so I think overall, just in general, Covering those two spectrums, you know, we you can see that it's not likely that these are going to have any real downside during a recession. Yeah, it's not like flying to Europe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, for thirty to fifty bucks a night, and maybe for the really nice tricked out ones, the the higher end ones, even if it's a hundred a night, I mean, it's it's not a lot of money. I mean, to to you know, especially compared to a hotel, if you have to get two or three rooms for you, you have a bigger family. So you, 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 maybe that's what you have to do when you go at least two. <laughs> you do, we stopped at your fourth kid. I didn't even ask you if you've yeah. you had more since then. No, we, we added a dog, but uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Smart man. The dog, <laughs> the dog won't talk back. Well, so, so what does occupancy look like? So it, it, I'm sure there's seasonality no matter yes. where they are. It depends exactly. on what the season. And so that what, and, 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 and of course this will vary. But I mean, are these things, you know, apartments are typically high 80s to go as high as high 90s unless there's, you know, unless they're, they're in a really bad market or something that's, yeah. you know, something extraneous or what have you. But is what is occupancy on a week to week basis? Yeah. You, you, so being based on what you're used to seeing in multifamily, you're, you're probably going to be shocked. But and, and like you said, the, the seasonality, any campground, like you said, we don't know where it's at, you know, Florida or North Dakota. There's going to be seasonality to it. So, but even with that, again, we, even with the seasonality counting, maybe only sometimes in cases six months out of the year of income, we're still hitting those those high double digit returns. But even with that, it would say it, it's going to depending on what you what numbers you're looking at. We have those seasonal campers, right? People that come and stay for like the full summer or winter, for example. Those numbers are typically always close to about 100. percent the The other side, kind of the more side that we focus on, is those transient campers that are right to come to stay for short term. If you're looking at a annual basis is probably around like a 30 to 40%. And again, those numbers seem low, but that's because most of them are coming on weekends. So, you know, during the middle of the week, they're not as filled. So, but pretty much every weekend, they're pretty much at capacity. So, that, so you know, that gives you that overall, it looks pretty low. It's like, eh, 30%, that's not, not much, but that that's pretty much our, our, our sweet spot. That's about, you know, industry average really. So, so even with that, Low low occupancy rate. We are still getting hitting that fifteen percent average cash on cash. You know, in two two and a half three x multiples for for our investors. You know, so so if we were to actually get higher than that, as far as occupancy goes, I mean, that's those numbers going to skyrocket like crazy. You know, so so that's kind of that's kind of where we operate at. And and what are the margins on the business? It seems to me like you know basically you're just you're just basically renting the land out. Yeah, that's, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, we 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 don't provide the RVs or, or campers. We do have some, again, some camp models or, or cabins or other glamping features that people can come and stay and rent those and stay at. But 
but the majority of the space there is RV pads that people bring their own RV or their own camper. You know, so so yeah, we're we're essentially just renting the the land space to them, and then they also pay for the utilities they use when they come connect to the water and electricity. They're paying for that usage. So so essentially, we're we're, we're providing the land, but also obviously the the amenities that are there. People are coming there not just to camp. Usually, you know, there there are those basic campgrounds they can just go and stay at and, and make a fire, but they're typically coming to our properties not because they're looking just for a place to to camp overnight. They're looking for activities, you know, experiences to come in and have have a good time with their family and, and create memories. So so all that being said, what are then the operating margins? We're typically around like a 50% you know, expense ratio. Yeah. That's you know usually about average. So not not too much different than what you've seen everywhere else. But again, this is we are a very high employment, I guess, is, is our big expense, right? The, the, the staff that we have to have on site. It's not just hiring a a outside property manager to watch over the property for you like you do with some multifamily. We need you know a good number of staff on site to handle all the, the guest needs, you know, a, a property a property site manager that's there. We have our own management company that we also own that is oversees all of the, the campgrounds in general, uh, the hiring and training, the the software and systems, online reservations, all those things are handled through our management company. But so that's that's one part of it. And then we have again all, all those individual staff that we have to hire per site. So there is a very high expense when it comes to managing the properties, but you know, they are offset by those high income that it makes as well. So you have an EC of an in-house corporate management. You have people at the at on site, but you also have corporate. Yes. Okay. And roughly how many people work in that? Is that a couple few people or? Yeah. For, well, for now it's a, it's a few people. We're, we are expanding that team as well as, as we continue to grow and acquire more properties. We, we are, we grow that team and that we have actually opened that up as well to manage third party campgrounds. So if somebody else that owns a campground and maybe is not ready to sell it just yet, but want to maybe step away a little bit, we can offer that management services to help them to manage it better. But yeah, typically when we take over property, we have somebody from that team go stay on site for up to maybe about six weeks to get all the, the current staff trained and, and up to speed on, on our operations and the way we do things, get them used to our systems that they, they'll be using. So we do a lot a lot of you know hands-on training when we take over a, a property. I see. Are there new campgrounds being built? There are, yes. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot obviously in Florida and, you know, those those southern states, you get a lot more because you get, in those southern states, you get a lot of more of the, again, those RV park models where people are living there year round. So there's a lot of those being built as well. But again, that's not the, the model we, we follow. I see. And what did your partners do prior to this, prior to founding Happy Camper in 2020? Yeah, so one of my partners, Justin Hoggett, he is a, has an extensive multifamily background. He has lots of properties in the Denver area. He has his own management company as well that manages all of his, his uh, properties there. My other partner, Adam Lindy, he was a commercial broker. In fact, he was a, a, a coach with with uh, Keller Williams. He had a large uh, single family portfolio himself. He was also prior to that a canine police officer as well. So you know he's, he's kind of been there several things there. But, but yeah, so so those two guys are. are outdoor enthusiasts. In fact, they met on a hang gliding outing or paragliding, I forget which we call it, but they, they met outdoors doing those fun things and, and you know, realized they were both in real estate. They both kind of already loved camping and, and uh, discussed, you know, the, the plan that they should just start buying some campgrounds for themselves to hold it for their families was their, their goal. But after they bought that first one, they realized how much work it actually is and realized that they needed a team to make that happen. That's kind of where they started looking for other team members to come on and, and I came on shortly after. I see. Well, it sounds like a really a nice spot in the sun and I, I would imagine and a lot of them are owned by, you know, Mon positive, owned them a long yep. time that are ready to turn over the keys, so to speak. Yes. You know, I guess like anything else with the margins being what they are in some of the smile states, you might, you know, just have to be really cognizant of, of competition and being really aware of, you know, how many other new ones are going in and where they are and all that kind of stuff. But by and large, yeah. it sounds like a, 
a brilliant kind of twist, for lack of a better word, on, on you know, kind of commercial real estate. All right. What would you say this? What are things to operationally, what are things to look out for? Like, like, like what are things that come to bite you in that business? There, there could be several things. Obviously, you know, we, we obviously do a, a, a very extensive due diligence process. You know, we, we, typically when we get a property under contract, we have sometimes up to 120 days to, to, before we close. So it gives us a lot of time to go there on site, go over everything, review everything. The the things that are kind of overlooked, which, you know, you may see somewhat, I guess, in multifamily, but a lot more in this space. Like you said, for Dean, there's a mom and pop owned. There's often cases, the, the their P&Ls are not reflective of the actual income, right? They, they uh, tend to under portray what the actual income is to pay less taxes, right? So at times that that's actually for our benefits. We'll say, hey, we're, we're making our offer based on the income, right? If, you, if you're not reporting... Another three hundred thousand income. That's you know, <laughs> it devalues the property, right? So, so there's sometimes those things that you have to you know, kind of get a feel of it. Take take their word for certain things, I guess, and look at the, you know the numbers that are there to, to find out the the factuals. If okay, is this more profitable than we, than we think it is, and whatnot. So that's one thing, obviously, to, to get to be very careful of. And then you know, there's often cases with with again mom and pop. They typically don't have the resources to improve a property well, so they maybe held it for at times generations in their family. So they may have not done a lot of upkeep. So you got to look at what's the cost to update a lot of things. Like for example, those those electrical connections where people are plugging in their RVs. If you just want to buy a campground now and they've got you know very outdated connections, that's gonna be a big expense to come in to, to replace all those, get them up upgraded to current levels. Often cases the the pools are usually the biggest thing that we come across there that could use a, a big update to to repair some issues there that can be quite expensive. Sometimes the, the the septic as well. You know, we, we of course like the ones we have a sewer, but most cases we're far enough out of the country there's not sewer. So you gotta look at the septic systems, make sure it's at the, the capacity can hold what's there or if it needs to be bigger. You know, we, we closed on one recently that we had to basically double the size. They add on a, a second septic because the, the initial one that was put in was was probably too small initially to begin with. But luckily the, we, we got that worked out. So the, the sellers actually paid for that to 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 put in the, the especially put the bill of the cost of putting that that second one before we close. So you know things you gotta watch out for is if you're if you're not aware of or or don't know about you know, it could come back to, to bite you if you don't watch for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure. How many have you bought? Sounds like you guys have knocked down a fair amount of these things. How many have you acquired? Yeah, so as of right now, we have five that we've closed on. We've got, you know, as we're recording this in, in January of 2023, we've got one we're expecting to close on the end of this month. We've got another one under contract, probably closing by end of March, likely. So yeah, we, we've got lots of deal flow, lots of great opportunities for people to come invest with us. Got it. Are there, do you know... Are there mobile home park guys? Because that's an industry that was like out of favor a decade ago and certainly yeah. more than that. I mean, you just, you had very, you had, you had negative, you know, sentiment, investor sentiment. And yeah. now it's gotten to be frankly red hot. Are any of those guys coming in and now buying up campgrounds? Yeah, they are actually. <laughs> I, I know at least two or three that I've spoken with in the last few months that are, are, are there's, of course, they're, they're still buying mobile home parks, but they're now looking into the, these properties as well. Uh, again, most of them are, are more focused on those RV parks with the you know the long-term campers. That's kind of more what they're used to and what they understand. They don't have the, quite the resources for management of a transient campground. But but yeah, people are getting into that, that space that are from that. And there's, there's a group I know of recently that they've, they've acquired essentially an old abandoned mobile home park that has all those infrastructure there for all those connections. And they're going to convert it to an RV park. So... Yeah, there, there are people getting getting in there from that. You know, I know people are coming from the multifamily side as well that are are starting to to, to look to these deals too. So you, you'll see a lot more of it in the next couple of years. I guarantee you that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, when it, wherever there's money, you're gonna get you're gonna get investors <laughs> and competition. Who lends against these properties? What what kind of institutions? 
Yeah. Well, well, just about any standard commercial bank will, will, will do it. You know, we, we've, we initially started using some regional banks that are close to the properties we, we bought. As we started to expand beyond those resources, what they could do, then we, we, we found some other national lenders that, that will lend on these. So it's typically not going to be the same type of loans you're going to get from, from multifamily. Up to now, all of our loans are recourse. So it's hard to get non-recourse in this space without paying a, a much higher uh, costs to do that. But again, with these properties that uh, cash flow well, there's no fear from our side of, of having a recourse loan. It doesn't, doesn't matter for us. But yeah, we're typically getting these, as of now, currently we're still getting like a 70% LTC. We try to include that CapEx in the loan. You know, maybe a, a year or so ago, we were getting, you know, closer to 75 or 80 sometimes. So they definitely have a more conservative a bit, but but yeah, we, we you know, standard commercial loan and nothing weird about it, I guess. I see. When, when you said not not the same terms as, you know, multifamily and you said their recourse, are there any other things that are different than, uh, you know, multifamily? Not really. I mean, yeah, other than I guess like like multifamilies, you know, they can do a lot of like the, the Fannie Mae type type loans. We don't have that in this space yet anyway, I think so. But, but yeah, basically that the other than the non-recourse is, is first the, the bigger differentiator there. You know, there's just a lot of people that are not willing to take a recourse loan again for, and I, I can understand that when you're looking at slim margins on, on a multifamily deal that, you know, a, a recourse loan could be risky, but for us, you know, it's, that's just normal business for us. And, and you know, the, the, the risk is very low for our concern. I see. You know, are you, is it, are you getting fixed or floating? Oh uh, yeah, they're they're fixed. Yeah, we usually we get you know just to give an example when we're closing on recently or right now. It's got two years interest only fixed. I think for five years, thirty year amortization. I see. Well, Don, this has been enlightening. I get your passion about it. You're excited, and uh, you know, look, I you're going to continue to do phenomenally well. I'm sure. How does one get a hold of you to find out more about what you're doing and maybe participate in one of your deals? Yeah, definitely. I'm very active on social media. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I post there often. You can find my name. I'm also on Facebook. The, probably the, the, aside from that, the best way to get a hold of me would be to go to our website, happycampercapital.com. You can obviously register there under our investor portal to get access to CR deals and, and to get on our mailing list. But you can also go to the About Us tab. And you'll see my name on there. I click on that. And then you'll see the, the bottom right of that screen. You'll see a, a link to schedule a call with me on my calendar. So if you want to call with me, just go there and, and get that scheduled. Got it. Well, Don, I totally appreciate it. And uh, ha- have a great weekend. And I look forward to maybe circling back and doing one of these again with you maybe in a year. Sounds great. I'd love to come back. I'll, all right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. <laughs> 